0: This week on Three Sides of the Coin, Mark would have gone absolutely fanboy, but he's not here for this interview. Mm-mm. We are joined by Blackie Lawless from Wasp.
1: Without Mark.
0: How freaking cool is that?
1: I got to ask questions. And there's,
0: there's a lot of KISS discussion with Blackie a lot of Israeli discussion with blackie you want to watch this one mark missed out this is
2: three sides of the coin talking all things kiss i want to rock and roll all night you're listening
1: to three
2: sides of the coin
1: visit threesidesofthecoin.com subscribe on youtube follow and rate us on spotify subscribe and leave a review on itunes we appreciate your support
0: everybody welcome back to another episode of three sides of the coin we don't have mark this week and that means the three of us actually get to ask questions to the guest we have sitting with us because i guarantee you if mark was here none of us would have gotten a word in edgewise because this would have been oh god this would have ra- rated with fanboy ultimate episode for mark he yeah. would have, I mean, he's actually pretty bummed that he was flying as we were recording this, but I'm like, I'm not, I'm not moving the interview. We're having no. fun. <laughs> you, can, you can listen to it when we're done. Um, so I'm not, let's see. You've already heard the teaser of who's guesting. So just sit tight. We will get to Blackie Lawless from Wasp in just a couple minutes um tommy you're gonna to read some comments from our incredible episode last week with julian which is getting i i i don't know how to deal with so much
1: actual real love we're getting love from it yes i mean i i, I even I the cesspool loving listeners. it well that's a part I don't really understand but okay I haven't I haven't followed any of this but we got a lot of great comments and as always guys if I don't read your comment it isn't because it's not great but sometimes the shorter ones are a little bit easier to read so I always encourage all of you listeners Let's just be to honest Tommy
0: your job is you don't want to do it so you just take the quick
1: easy way out No not necessarily you shortcuts. like to believe that
0: shortcuts
1: <laughs> no Say what you want, fuckers.
0: Because Tommy could be reading comments off of Instagram. could be reading comments off of Facebook page, Facebook group. Mm -hmm. But no, he just lazy and only looks at YouTube.
1: It's just the easiest, you know. But if I'm doing it wrong, fire me. You know, (laughs) what do you want at this point? I showed up, didn't I? That's about all we can expect. That's all we
0: can expect. I mean, look, Mark didn't
1: show up. Yeah. So really who's, who's the trouble one here? It's Mark. Yeah. Mark yeah. is much. Yep. All right. So, um, so read some comments. Uh, DP, I think it's DBQR three said fantastic episode guys. The Titans of podcasting meet up with the anticipation, not witnessed since the De Niro Pacino had their classic scene in heat. <laughs> I love that. That was my favorite comment. Cause I love, you know, I love Pacino and De Niro. Um, else here we see. okay. Um, a Steinman, amazing episode guys. This is what I've been waiting for. My two favorite this podcasts coming together. We'd love to see this again. Best part are the people whose heads are going to explode over it. Haha. So you know, look, we like Julian. We've always championed Julian's books. He's an, he's a wonderful writer. He's a wonderful human being. We like Lonnie, We like all the guys over at FAQ. Um, I think sometimes we're misunderstood because they assume that we don't like them for whatever reason. So this was as natural as natural can be having him come on the show. And we've asked him before and he said no, but now he was ready to come on and it was a wonderful episode. And I'm really happy that all of you guys are enjoying it.
0: Listen, I want to, I actually want to read a couple of the comments I shared with you guys. And these comments come from the cesspool. Oh,
1: um,
0: really good conversation. The camaraderie was great. It needs to happen more. Both podcasts coming together to focus on subjects that they are passionate about seems to have brought out the best in everybody. Um, Mike Brunn, I'm not one to sit around and watch podcasts, go figure. Um, Mike, I don't watch podcasts either. I just don't have time. But just a few weeks ago, I said on someone else's show that I wish there was more cross pollination between kiss podcasts. So I was interested to see how this would play out. Great. Just as I expected. And I'm glad Julian was able to plug his Aerosmith book. Love his work. You know, Tommy, I think you nailed it when you said we're just we're misunderstood. And there's a lot, I shouldn't say a lot. There's a small number of people who just have this preconceived notion. I mean, some of them thought we were going to just attack Julian.
1: No, he's a friend.
0: He's a friend. We're, we're talking about something we love kiss. So yeah. um, Yeah. You know, you got to check it out. It was an incredible conversation, not just about Julian's Aerosmith book, but we talked about Ross Radley and the magic book. Uh, mm-hmm. we we talked about the kiss leaks and 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 probably the best part which maybe we need to have julian back and do a full show on is just julian and mark talking about their be them being elitist hoarders and and their collecting of audio and video rarities
1: you know I think that's a great idea and we should do that because i th- i found that to be fun fascinating. And I know some of it because Mark and I have talked about it and Julian shared a few things, but that's really their world. And I think it's, it's something that people should hear about because I think, again, that's another thing where people are it's misunderstood. misunderstood what yep. yeah. it's very and misunderstood. I, I, and I'm going to go on record right now and say this again, I don't have an issue with any other KISS podcasts. Everyone I've ever met from the different podcasts have been really, really nice. So I want you to follow and listen to as many of them as you want. Do I listen? No. And it's not because I'm not interested or I don't care, but I simply am in a situation where there's only so much time in the day. So it's like, if I've got a free moment to do something, I really would rather learn something that's going to improve myself than just the kiss stuff. Yeah. So for me, that, that's why I, you know, I just, there's only so much time in the day.
0: No, I, I I'm I'm right there with you. I mean I I I greatly appreciate all the podcasts that people put in all of their own personal free time to create. And anybody who creates a podcast needs respect just because they do that. That's it. Because they're not nobody's nobody's getting rich off of this.
2: I just think it's funny how like everyone thinks we all hate everybody.
1: You know. Like, we're supposed to be enemies with all these other people that do podcasts. So like, like, yeah. how old are we? It, you know? Yeah, exactly. And it's just simply not true. And that's also, too, just so you guys know, one of the main reasons we're not talking about all this Sam Loomis stuff is we don't care. I don't care. I could care less who he is. And the last thing I want to do is be involved in any of the uh, nonsense and the drama that's going on. It, it, it just doesn't interest me.
0: It's, it, 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 it's it's like high school
1: drama
3: exactly we're all grown adults here we have other, other things to do with our team. It,
0: it you know lisa you i mean you can relate to this probably right now because i can as well it's like Tuli comes home from school and her best friend is not her best friend today because you know she looked at me the wrong way but tomorrow guess what they've forgotten all about it and they're best friends again it's like yeah that. This whole kiss leak, Sam Loomis, that's drama like elementary school and, you know, grade school crap. It's just like
1: that all ended for me when I was 18. (laughs) A couple years ago, huh? Yeah.
3: Oh, yeah. A couple years ago. and, And I'm
1: not trying to minimize the people that are interested in this. If you're interested in it, wonderful. But I don't want to be a part of it, though. I, right. I don't want to be involved in that because honestly, I just truly don't care. Do I want to see certain people get what's coming to them? Oh, hell, yeah, I do. But that's not for me to just dis- to decide or judge.
0: Somebody else will deal so, with that, and when yeah, that finally happens, we'll we'll raise a toast on the show and just say,
1: about time.. Mm-hmm, absolutely.
0: Um, all right, so let me just remind everybody real quick. You got to go check out three sides of the coin radio. Yeah. We just updated our playlist. It's now Charlie Benante from anthrax. Who's programming the radio station to all of his favorite kiss tunes. And if you love old school kiss, you're going to love Charlie's playlist. So head over to threesidesofthecoinradio.com for details and how this whole thing works, or just ask your Alexa to launch three sides of the coin radio and just sit back and listen um all right so we got blackie lawless from wasp i mean the interview you're gonna want to listen to is freaking cool he talks about the first time and how he and Ace became friends, the first time he met Paul, first time he met Gene. Um, He talks about one of his first jobs when he moved out to California and how that job was KISS-related. Talked about having Ace and Bill O'Coin come out to one of the very early WAF shows nearly 40 years ago to, to see them. Cause they were, Bill was considering management. Um, we even kind of clear up because I don't know if anybody noticed this back to the kiss leaks. One of the things I noticed, cause somebody had posted the entire dump of everything that was on the hard drive. And I picked up, uh, picked out that there were eight song, eight songs that were wasp songs from 1983 that were labeled produced by Ace Fraley news to me i'd never heard that ace had produced wasp material right we asked blackie specifically about that and he clears it up um i I don't know what to say i mean i'm sorry Uh, mark you missed an incredible
1: interview with why are you saying that he's not going to watch this anyways he might. This just well, might. Just out of spite, he might just. He's so. He'll be so bitter about it. I mean, he would. He would have gone complete
0: fanboy on oh, this. One. God. He, he wouldn't been... have restrained himself.
1: Uh-uh, he couldn't.
0: He would have had at least five Kleenexes for this episode. Hmm. Should... <laughs> Lisa's like, I thought I was the five Kleenexes. I know. Episode. I'm a little
1: hurt right now. <laughs> Whatever.
0: Anyway, you gotta. This this isn't a two-hour interview. We we get right into the meat of uh, talking to Blackie about Kiss. We talk about the upcoming tour. We we, including Tommy, ask him some pretty direct questions about what you can expect on this tour. Um, Mm -hmm. You got to check this out, Blackie Lawless from Wasp
3: for the Wasp 40th Anniversary World Tour. We're going back to the beginning. We're taking the show back to where it all started, complete with all the fire and all the blood that shocked the world the first time. We only did this type of show on the first world tour and never did it again. That is, until now. I am crimson. I am headless, dying for the world. I'm blind in Texas. I'm a wild child. I'm tormentor. Slain it, Golgotha. I don't need no doctor. I'm going to scream. I'm going to bleed. Get on your knees for your love machine. Can you see <laughs> the real me? The torture never stops. Because I want to be somebody I'm Blackie Laws.
0: Three sides of the coin. I cannot tell you how excited and honored we are to have Blackie Lawless from WASP joining us today. Blackie, thank you for taking some time out of your, your very busy schedule getting ready for your upcoming world tour to chat with some KISS geeks.
2: Well, thanks for having me. I sure appreciate it.
0: Let me ask, let me ask you this first question. Would you consider yourself a KISS geek?
2: I'm not even sure what that is. But, <laughs> you know... Um, <laughs> So it's hard to say yes.
0: (laughs) I mean, are, are you, are you, I mean, the story you, you've known Ace going way back. Are you a Kiss fan? It seems obvious to me that you are, but are you a Kiss fan? Are you, have you been a fan of what the band has been doing through their whole career?
2: I would say yes, but I would have to put a little asterisk next to it because, and I think whether it's me or anybody who has known somebody on a personal level, it's always difficult to see other performers the same way that uh, to give you an example, you know, Elvis, you know, I see Elvis in a totally different world because I never met him. When you get to know someone, it becomes different because when you're watching them perform, you, there's a, a kind of a duality that goes on there. And when you, when you see them performing live, the first thing your brain sees is, oh, that's my buddy, you know, but then they'll do something every once in a while, and then you'll realize, oh, yeah, that's how they got where they are.
0: That was you cool. So it kind of gives you the goosebumps.
2: It, yeah, you, there's a little back and forth that happens between that, and I would I would say that's probably not just myself. It's probably anybody that, you know, knows other people that, that you know, do stuff like this for a living.
0: Well, so let's, let's go all the way back. When did you and Ace first meet? How did you become early friends?
2: They were just getting started, and we met at a party one night. And, you know, I was doing, I was in a band called Black Rabbit at the time, and we were doing face paint and a very, very similar type of show. But we, we didn't know who they were. We had no knowledge of them, you know, and like I said, they were just getting started. And, um, you know, so him and I started talking and quite honestly, it was kind of a meeting of the minds type thing. You know, it's like he'd say something and I go, yeah, that's, that's correct. Or I'd say something and, you know, he'd be able to identify with it. So, you know, we struck up really a pretty strong kindred friendship from the get go. You know, I mean, it was, I don't know. I mean, you, everybody's probably had situations where they've met people, you know, and there was just this magnetic attraction, you know, and, and um, that's pretty much what it was.
0: Were, what, you, would, were you at any of the early first KISS shows, KISS rehearsals? Did he invite you out to those events?
2: Well, what happened is the first time I saw them uh, play live they were opening for blue oyster cult and the, I think their set was like 30 minutes or something like that. And, um, so they, like I said, they were just getting started. <clears throat> they had just finished the first record. And, but I do remember being in sessions where, you know, they'd be rehearsing just the three of them without Peter, without drums. And I don't know if people know what pig nose amps are, but they're these little kind of they're the size of a, of a school book, mm-hmm. you know, and they've got a little speaker in them and stuff and you can use them. They're only five Watts, you know, and you can use them to rehearse with or tune up with things like that. And they'd be sitting in a room, you know, working on, on material on pig noses. So, you know, that's, that's, um, you know, getting to, to be a part of something like that for any band, you know, it's always cool to sit in on it and watch it.
0: Did you, did you, that early on recognize something special or unique in what you were seeing?
2: Well, the thing that that I saw and felt the most was when you were in a room with them, there was an electricity. And not so much individually, but when they were together, you could cut it with a knife. And there would be a couple of more times later on in my life that I would be around other bands and you could feel it the same with, with these other people. But they were the first ones I had ever experienced that with. There was just this thing. It's hard to put your finger on what to name it or call it. Would Would you call that but, the,
0: the magic, which we hear thrown around so often? Like, there was maybe, magic
2: there. But there was a magnetism to the people, you know? And when they would talk about what they were doing, sparks would fly off their ass, you know? I mean, and it wasn't... I remember the first time I met Paul, we were talking about you know, what he thought the band could achieve. And I remember specifically, and I, I can remember almost word for word what he said, because he, he told me, he says, I'll talk about Black Sabbath. I'll talk about Led Zeppelin. I'll talk about any band you want to talk about, because we're going to be bigger than all of them. Now, when somebody makes a statement like that, especially when the world don't know who they are it's usually seen as someone, you know, bragging or, you know, just really shooting their mouth off. But that's not what I got off of him. I mean, the look that was on his face when he was talking, you know, it's like the old expression, I ain't conceited, I'm convinced, you know, and that's really what it was with him. You know, just he was absolutely possessed you know, and what he thought they were capable of doing.
1: When you have to have that kind of commitment level, don't you, want in when you enter into a band like that?
2: Yeah, you got to believe in yourself, you know. Um, but like I said, I've been around other people before, you know, and there's usually an arrogance that comes with something like that. But this was not an arrogance that came off of him. This was a conviction. There's a big difference.
1: Yeah.
0: Were were you were you able to notice like amongst each each guy was there a we're in this together we've got everybody's back
2: in the we, beginning yes yeah you it know because obviously was, we,
0: go ahead go ahead yeah
2: it was a four musketeers type scenario they they were a tight little unit
0: and and, and when was, I say
2: tight I don't mean just musically I'm talking about personnel wise
0: was was there an indication back then that it was being led by Gene and Paul or was that not even visible Yeah, because at that point? in
2: the beginning when they first went on the road, you know, they didn't have any money, you know, so they whatever hotels they were in, Gene and Paul room together and Peter and Ace room and the others together. So you, start, you started to see I mean, in the beginning I didn't think about it, you know, but um, yeah. you started to see that there was as time would go by, you could see that separation happening.
0: Now, let's let's kind of fast forward a bit. You end up moving out to California. When did that happen? And, and I remember you telling me a story about one of the first jobs you had, which is KISS related, interestingly enough, when you moved out to California.
2: Well, I moved out in the summer of 75. In July, the job that I ended up happening wouldn't happen for actually a couple more years. It was, I think that job was summer 78 that I got, but there was a guy named Ron Boutwell and he was, he made a lot of different posters for a lot of different artists at that time. And this place that I worked at was a printing company or a printing house. And we actually made the, the actual posters, you know, we did the artwork, we did the printing and all that. And as the band started to grow in popularity, uh, which would have been actually sometime before that, but when I started working there, I had no idea that they were doing those posters. And so that was something that was strange because, you know, in in kind of an unusual way, you might say, um, I remembered doing, there would, we would do group posters on them. And then we would do individual posters on them. And the thing that I found strange, because for me, you know, I met, I actually met Gene before I met Ace. Mm. And so there was, there was a connection, you know, I could see You know, I would, and I'll be quite candid here. I mean, Gene was the guy that I identified with, you know, from his personality perspective and, you know, his stage persona and all that, Uh, you know, I thought, okay, that's the guy, you know, that if I was going to do something like this, you know, he'd be the guy that I'd gravitate towards. But my true friendship was Ace. And so what I found strange about the posters Because I'm identifying with Gene as a person and a character, was the number of the run that we would do every time we would do those posters. Because when we would do the individual posters, we would do a run of 10,000 each of Gene, 10,000 of Peter, and 10,000 of Paul. But when we did Ace's run, it would be 20,000. And that wasn't just once or twice. And I, so I made some inquiries to the people that were were taking the orders for Boutwell. And I said, why is this? And they said, well, obviously, he's the one selling the most. And I said, well, why do you think that is? And you got to remember, this was at a time when Star Wars was popular, or just becoming popular. And kids, and when I say kids, I mean, you know, 10-year-olds, were starting to identify with the whole spaceman thing. Yeah. And so the next time they were in town, you know, I went over to see him. And I shared that with him. And it was information I don't think he was privileged to. And I remember <laughs> the look on his face when I said it. Oh. And there was this kind of a quizzical look on his face. You know, I could see him putting pieces of the puzzle together. And he, you know, he sat there for a second. and He goes, I knew it. You know? And <laughs> so. You know, it's, um, you know, those things, those are the kind of things that when you're on the inside of something, unless you're getting direct reports. And in those days that would have been impossible to get direct reports unless you had somebody on the inside, which I was, and miraculously happened to be on the inside. I mean, what's the chances of that happening? Yeah. But you know, I was in the right place at the right time. And, uh, I you know, got to see and, 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 those and you, numbers for myself. And it you got know, my attention. I'll, I'll say that because I, I would have bet money; it would have been Gene.
0: Well, you yeah. know, you know that after you told Ace that he probably called Gene, and
2: oh, I'm sure he did. <laughs> I'm sure he did. Oh, Well, you know, not asking for more money, probably, but certainly to remind them. Remind them who's to... the most popular. <laughs> Correct. That's,
1: That's funny. Love
2: it. Um. So let's let's. It reminds me of a story that would happen years later. We would be, we did not our first tour with them, but the second one. We were going, we were going pretty good guns at that point. I mean, we were, we were steamrolling and Gene got upset one day about something uh, was happening with the merch. And so I think we were, I, I think we were in Sacramento. And I was aggravated about something that was happening with sound checks. So I called him up. I says, you got to come down here. And so he came down. And so we talked about the sound check situation for a while, got that sorted out. And he goes, while I'm here, I want to talk to you about this merch. And I go, well, what's the problem? He goes, where your merch booths are getting set up. I said, well, what's that got to do with me? He goes, come here, I'll show you. So we walked out in front of the arena. And I could see where the merch booths were being set up, and ours were were literally next door to theirs. And the problem that he was having is we were out merching them two to one at that point, and that's not that's not you know a speculation, that's a fact. If they did twenty five grand, we were doing fifty grand a night. And he he looks up and he says, "I come out to these merch booths and I see a poster of Gene, I see a poster of Paul, I see a poster of Blackie. I'm not in the band with Blackie." I don't want to be in a band with Black. <laughs> you know, and I looked at him and I says, "You do now."
3: <laughs> oh, that's fun. Uh,
2: that
0: that that is Gene. I mean, I I I won't get in. We can talk about it at another time, but I've got stories like that when I was working with That's that's a typical too. Gene.
1: That's, that's a typical just, Gene. That is
0: such a Gene. That's just
2: Gene. But you know what, a lot of people I don't know what the word is. I'm not going to say bad mouth, but you know, want to cast dispersions, let's say, on him mm-hmm. and his personality. I've never met a guy with a better work ethic. Oh, without you know? question.
0: He and, cares. He cares about his 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 band and his business.
2: I'll give you an example. You know, and I'm probably being a little prejudiced here, but you know, I would when they first started and they were they were on their first tour, You know, I would call Ace about once a month, you know, just check in with him, see where he was, how the band was going. And it was rough for them then. I mean, I remember calling him at one point before they did the the first The Live record and telling him, or him telling me rather, you know, he said, I think it's over. I said, what do you mean? He says, we're waiting for a call to tell us to come home any day. You know, he says, we're out of money. The label's out of money. You know, so I, like I said, I would talk to him about once a month. And I, one time, I called up, and Gene got on the phone, and so because because Ace was out of the room, and so we talked for a minute. And Gene knew the band that I was in, and he said to me, because I he says, "How's it going?" I says, "I don't know. I'm pretty demoralized." I said, "I'm thinking about giving it up." He goes, "Don't do that. Whatever you do, don't quit." I said, what do you mean? He goes, those guys you're playing with, he goes, they're all losers. He goes, you need to go get in a band with guys like you. He goes, but whatever you do, do not quit. You have that thing. Whatever it is, you have it. He goes, don't quit. And he kept hammering me on it. And I got off the phone with him, and that was the pep talk I needed at that precise moment in my life because I was really considering – walking away. Now, whether whether I would have walked away permanently, probably not. But that was, that picked me up that I desperately needed. And I cannot emphasize how low I was at that moment. And his words were ringing out in my ears. So, like I said, you know, maybe there's some bias on my part, but I look at him and I see someone that uh, I admire. I agree. I completely agree.
1: Yeah. What a great story. So, so go ahead, Tom. Well, I was just going to say, because um, I, I, we only have a half an hour, I'd love to talk a little bit about Wasp before we get to the reunion or the 40th anniversary tour, excuse me. Um, tell me a little bit about that. I, I know that we have a lot of hardcore Wasp bands. And of all of the bands that are 80s bands, the one band that I think has a really hardcore following is your band. And you're one of the few that I don't see out on the road and haven't for many years. and I do a lot of photography and I do a lot of festivals and I know that seeing wasp would be something that would make so many people happy. What was it that got you to go? you know it's 40 years on. Well whether let's... it's
2: us whether it's us or any band, I, I think it's the same. You know if a promoter is willing to to bring you somewhere and the offer is worthwhile, you'll do it. You know, with us, it was a question of promoters in the United States, you know, having the confidence to to put a tour together and, you know, to string a group of dates together. That'll make sense for everybody. I mean, we've been you know, we've never stopped. I mean, we've played the rest of the world. Unfortunately for us, you know, we've been able to to work in the rest of the world and do well. Right. Uh, you know, but America was a different scenario, you know, so it hasn't been until just recently. And I think fans, you know, fans for better, or for worse, want to blame a band for everything. You know, if yeah. they buy a t-shirt that's made in Pakistan and it falls apart, you know, if, that they bought from a bootlegger, you know, but it's got the band's name on it. They blame the band because they think the band's in the back of the bus printing the t-shirts, you know, and that's not true. You know, so or in a situation where they haven't played somewhere for a while, they think the band just doesn't want to go there. That's not true. Most bands that I know, if they're given decent offers, you know, from a reputable promoter, they'll go. You know, so it's not just that people don't want to do something, you know, so that's that's certainly been the case with us.
0: The the fans tend to forget there's a business aspect. To yeah. music and touring. and there's
2: a hundred people behind the scenes that are in powerful positions that they never they never know exist.
0: Exactly, exactly. Um, when it comes to Wasp, and we're going to go back a little bit here, and then we'll end with more about the the upcoming tour. Um, when you were putting Wasp together, before you got your first record deal, I understand. You guys auditioned for Bill Coin and Ace Fraley. can you talk a little bit about that
2: well uh, it wasn't exactly an audition it was a, it was a show that we did at the troubadour we We played and that's actually upcoming the anniversary the fortieth anniversary will be there was two shows that we did at the Troubadour in September of eighty two The first one was on the twenty first and the second one was on the twenty eighth now having known Ace for, for quite some time, you know, I told him, I said, you know, we're doing these demo tapes, you know, and I'd like to send you and Bill one and see what you think. And so I did. And they both got back to me and said they liked them. And I said, well, you know, we're, we're playing a, you know, a show. Would you like to come out? And so it was actually looking back in hindsight, it was premature. Uh, but they came out on the second show, which was the 28th. And, you know, we, we talked for a long time after that. We actually made plans to go forward. But the thing that was making me uncomfortable was the situation that Bill had with Billy Idol at the time. Because Billy Idol's record was just, just tearing the charts up. And I was afraid of getting into a situation where I was not going to get the attention that a new band would need to do that. And then it wasn't long after that, that I ran into Rod Smallwood who ended up managing the band, but, um, you know, I still remain friends with, with Bill. I would see him from time to time at different, you know, business outings and things like that. And we always remain friendly.
0: Can, can you talk a little bit about, I think it was eight songs that were recorded slash demoed, um, Did Ace have any involvement with those initial
2: songs? No, he didn't. We we did those on our own first. But what was supposed to have happened was that he was going to produce the actual album once we got a deal. But when Bill was no longer involved in the situation, it just kind of slowly fell by the wayside, and nothing really ever happened. And you know, like I said, we ended up signing with Capitol. And then they get involved and, you know, it becomes kind of like the hundred people scenario behind the scenes I was just talking about because more complicated.
0: So, so let's, um, let's fast forward. You're, you're going to be kicking off the 40th anniversary tour in the U S, uh, end of October, and it's going to go over into Europe next spring. Um, you know there you you've been talking a lot that this is like back to the beginning this is the show so many people have never seen um without obviously giving away all of the details where where are you going with this what are you hoping to achieve what what's what what are you what are you working on for this tour
2: well you know to do a 40th retrospective I think you have to be able to give them a sampling of a little bit of each one of those decades, but considering I would say half our audience at this point never saw us in the beginning, you know, these shows are the, you know, some that touring with kiss, you know, yeah. they weren't there. They didn't see any of that, you know? So to try to, to bring them up to speed, so to speak, you know, we want to, to really take it back to where it started in 87, we did a record, or 86 actually, we did a record called Inside the Electric Circus. Mm-hmm. And we had the tour before that, we had, were with Kiss on that. And when we left, you know, one of the last days we were there uh, on that tour, they were doing sound check. And I walked up on the stage, and Gene and I were talking for a minute. And the tour was coming to an end, and he says, So. He goes, it's been good to have you. He says, but I assume next year you'll be headlining, correct? And I just looked at him and nodded my head yes, you know, because we could see where we were going. So, you know, and he was correct, you know, so we were moving into arenas at that point. But the show that I wanted to do was based on, because it was called Inside the Electric Circus, was based on a 1930s-type carnival, like a, a cheap carnival. You know, more like um, some sort of a, I won't call it a geek show, but a, a very, very dark 1930s carnival. Well, because we were moving into arenas, the argument coming from the agents and the promoters, it needs to be bigger, it needs to be flashier. So slowly over a period of a few weeks, it started evolving to where I thought it should go. Into this thing that was big and bombastic and flashy, and yeah, it looked great in big rooms, but it really wasn't where I saw it going. So what we're doing now is we're putting this kind of part 1930s carnival, part road warrior, part voodoo ceremony, if you like, you know, that has all these elements rolled together. And when people see it, they'll understand what the band really was was going for in the beginning and i'll be honest with you i'm and i know this may sound like hype but you know cuz all all artists say this but i don't normally say this but i'm genuinely excited about doing this because i know what this thing is going to look like when it's done and quite honestly i can't really wait to get into it
1: well, and to me, as a concert goer, I appreciate that type of idea that it's not just going to be the four people standing on stage with some drums and some amps. I, I like the idea of a vaudeville show or, like, to your point, the Electric Circus. I saw the show when you toured with Kiss on that tour. Was it Animalize or Asylum? I don't remember I mean, which it was, one it, it was. It was the Asylum tour, Tommy, yeah, in St. Paul. and you Paul. had... The, Okay, and you had those huge heads and stuff on stage. That mm-hmm. was, To me, that was fantastic. And so I want to ask you a couple questions quickly about this because I'm reacting to all of the listeners that we have that talk about you guys all the time. And there's some questions of, that they want to have answers to. So one of them is, as you answered already, you're going to bring back this show. Are you going to pay, play bass? And if so, why? Or why not?
2: Well, I'm a guitar player by trade. Okay. You know, and I played bass in the beginning because with the other guys that were in the band, the other two guitar players, uh, I knew they wasn't going to play bass. <laughs> you know, so I was kind of uh, by default elected to do it. But I had the chemistry of the people. And to me, that was the most important thing. But when Randy Piper left the band, that gave me an opportunity to go back to play guitar. Right. So that's really where my natural state is. So I'm much more comfortable doing that.
1: And they also would love to know um, if it's going to include any past members or if it's you with all new players. What's your? No, it's the current we've
2: had for the last 20 years. You know. Okay. It's, uh, you know, it's. I mean, the, the the lineup we have now, like I said, it's been going for 20 plus years. I mean, it's the most stable lineup we've ever had.
3: Yeah.
1: Well, and I don't doubt that. I haven't seen you guys since like the 80s. So it'll be a lot of fun to see you come back and do it again. Um, I guess, you know, it's like people, they they live in nostalgia and they hope that everything is going to be the same. And they think that all of you guys live together like the monkeys or something. And that's just not
2: reality. Well, you know, I'll tell you something that Paul told me a long time ago and I never forgot because he's absolutely right. He goes, a lot of times people listen with their eyes and not their ears.
0: Oh, God, yes.
2: And, true. you know, it's, it really is true, you know. But that being said, I do it, too. I understand exactly where people are coming from. But from a musical point of view, I wanted to do stuff that was more challenging. And I understand the romance of the early stuff that any band will do, you know, and people yeah. identify with that because, you know, for most successful artists, I mean, not everyone, but the vast, vast majority, their popularity, you know, I mean, they make their bones in the first five years they're together, you know, all that early stuff. If if it solidifies in the audience's head, you know, who that band is and those early records are great. That's what they're going to be known as, Right. you know, so and there are, there are a few exceptions, but for the most part, it's those first five years a band are together. But for myself personally, I wanted to start doing stuff that was more challenging musically. You know, I wanted to diversify, if you like, and try to just, you know, examine what limits we could go to musically. And that takes a caliber of musician that you just don't find everywhere. You know, I mean, you've got to have superior players to do that.
0: Blackie, song wise for this upcoming tour, are you going to try and cover songs from the very beginning all the way through Galgatha? Oh, I mean, yeah. you've got you've oh, got yeah. an incredible catalog and so many songs that, well, that obviously was the problem because
2: when we first sat down, you know, six months ago to start putting this together. We found that there was a lot of stuff that we had not done that we wanted to try, but there just wasn't room. Because in one sense there's if we don't play I wanna be somebody, there's gonna be a riot. Okay, yeah. I understand that. You know, so you have to do that. You have to do some of the others. And there there are staples any band is gonna have to do. The Rolling Stones have never not played satisfaction. Yeah. You know, there's just some things you gotta do. You know, so you have to take that into consideration. There are always going to be fans that are going to say, well, they want to hear some obscure B-sides. And I get that. And actually, we tried that once or twice, and it didn't work well. Because you're dealing with such a fragmented or singular group of people that, you know, that are really the diehards that want to hear something unusual but that's not what the bulk of the audience is there for. Right. And you have to not you have to be careful not to give in to that temptation. You know, so the balancing act always becomes, okay, how much do we do to satisfy the bulk of the audience, but then get into some stuff that people might go, Oh wow, I've never heard that live before. So that becomes a challenge. You know, and I'll be honest with you, I mean we're still working on that as we speak.
1: Well, but considering how long it's been since you've toured the US, I would think any wasp sand is gonna just be thrilled that you're playing. You know, well, the you should... would
2: hope to think that, but <laughs> you know, at the same I time, know. you know, you wanna to try to you wanna to try to be disciplined and, and do it right. Well, right. you know,
0: you know, if, if I if I had anything to contribute to your set list, it's it's gotta include something from Golgotha. Because for me, when that album was released that was like the surprise oh my god this album kicks ass release of that year and and as i still and right I, now
2: as of right now there is nothing from that record in the set list oh, but like i said <laughs> it could change you've you take in consideration i mean i don't know how many records we've done it's upwards of 20. it's a lot of stuff to try yep. to visit
0: Yep. yeah oh, sure um so one more question before we wrap up here and and eddie trunk asked you this question months ago have you given more thought to whether you're going to play animal or not yes yes you've given thought to it or yes you're yes, going to play it <laughs> that, that's I'm, a I'm, pro answering the question there <laughs> yeah
2: do you do you well, remember I, the movie Bull Durham where uh, Crash Davis is trying to coach the guy on how to give his responses to the press? Yeah, yes. he yep. tells him write it down. Yep.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, I Sorry. personally don't care what you play. I'm just excited to see the tour, and I want to see the show because now that's I feel like, the like I'm on Family Feud.
2: Good answer. Good answer. <laughs> you are.
1: You are. seriously there's so many bands that i see that don't understand how to entertain people anymore so when michael first started talking about um working with you and doing these different things i was excited to hear that you're going to come back and do a a, that old school type of thing because people don't somebody asked
2: me in an interview here a while back they go where are all the great new frontmen coming from and i said they ain't they don't exist you know, first of all, they don't have the circuit to play like we had to play coming up, where you could play clubs, learn your craft. You know, you know the the old expression, ten thousand hours of learning a trade. No matter whether you're a plumber or a carpenter or whatever it may be, it's the same with us. You know, you have to. You know, the Beatles went to Hamburg for two years to yeah. put in that ten thousand hours. You know, every band or every performer has to to do this and we're in a place now where that just doesn't exist anymore. So I can't really tell you if there's ever going to be anything like that again. But fortunately, we were lucky enough to be born into that little window from the mid 50s, you know, to 1990. You know, yeah. where we were exposed to that, but we still weren't that far enough removed from things like vaudeville. Right. Or these carnivals. That I'm talking about, you know, we all saw that stuff as kids growing up, you know. So you ask yourself, can I incorporate that in what we're doing musically, you know? Whether it was Alice Cooper, or whether before him would have been Screaming Jay Hawkins and Screaming Lord Such, Arthur Brown, you know, all these guys that brought real theatrical elements into what we're we do now, you know. Uh, you know, we were all exposed to those those influences and. I don't know if an audience, even though the material exists on YouTube to go look at, I don't know if new bands are looking that far back to see really where the roots of this stuff exist.
0: I, I oftentimes wonder if a lot of these new musicians, especially lead singers, um, are completely forgetting about the fact that you've got to be a great lead singer, but you've got to be a ringmaster and an entertainer as well. Um and and I well, feel like people focus, that, focus too much on skill and not on, you know, leading leading
2: the show. I was born in Tampa, and we moved to New York when I was like seven. And, you know, we were there for a few years, and then we came back in my mid-teens, and my mother died in 1980. And so I was already in California at the time. And so I went back to Tampa for for her funeral. And while I was there, it was the first time that I was dabbling in this circus idea thing. And so I had a day, you know, where there was really nothing going on. And so down in Sarasota, they have the Ringling Brothers Museum. Yep. And so I, you know, it's like 50 miles away. So I drove down there for the afternoon just to check it out. Well, while I was there, they had a uh, a little tour group that was going through, you know, the different aspects of the circus and things like that. So you know, I tagged along just to see it. And there was a magician that was doing a show, and he asked for a participant to help him on stage. And normally I'm I'm pretty shy. I don't I don't like to do stuff like that. But I was intrigued by what this guy was doing. So I put up my hand and I went up on stage and, you know, I helped them for a minute. And so the tour group went on to the next thing and I just kind of hung around and talked to him for a minute. I said, I said, why'd you choose me? He says, I was feeling electricity off of you. He says, I look for people that, and he, we got into a conversation about Est and different things that you do of how to work with an audience. And he says, I get people on stage sometimes that fight me. He says, I don't need that. He says, I'm looking for people that are going to help me. He says, and I could feel that coming off of you. He says, if you don't think so, he says, come with me. So he took me uh, from the room that we were in. It was a little theater. He opened up a side door, and there literally on the other side of that door was a guy working with with big cats. He had several lions and a couple tigers. And I mean, they were like touching distance away. You wouldn't have wanted to leave the door open. Let's put it that way. And he says, now I want you to watch this guy. He says, watch what he's doing with these cats. And he had a whip and a chair, you know, the traditional stuff you see. He says, but let me ask you a question. He says, do you think for one minute that that whip or that chair is keeping those cats from jumping on him? Right. "No, No, really. He says, how do you think he's controlling them? I says, I really don't know. He says, he's controlling them mentally. He says, if you're going to do what you say you want to do, when you go out on that stage, you're going to have to mentally dominate that audience. He says, and that you do that with your presence. He says, you look them in the eye and you come out there and you prowl that stage and you let them know it belongs to you.
1: That's great that advice. was one of the
2: single greatest pieces of advice anyone ever gave me, and to this day that's what I do because I look at that as like a boxing match between myself and the audience. when I come out there, that's a war, and I'm letting them know from the get go that stage belongs to me and I'm not saying that to be arrogant, you know any performer that can control what they're doing they whether they could verbalize it the way I'm telling you with the guy at you know, at the, the Ringling Brothers Museum, or some other analogy they might use to make that point, it, it's still going to end up being the same.
0: Yeah, that, you know, yeah. and, and when, when you hear that, and then you think about all of the great bands that have existed, They've got somebody who's at that front of the stage who is a leader, is a controller, is a ringmaster. Whether it's you, whether it's Paul Stanley, whether it's Bono, whether it's Mick Jagger, there is that strange electricity that they have that they can command, not just the stage, but the audience looking at them.
2: Well, the way he put it to me, he says, either you're going to control them or they're going to control you. And when you're faced with that type of scenario, you think to yourself, well, I don't want to be the one that gets controlled because, you know, if you're out there working with big cats, you're going to get eaten, you Mm -hmm. know, and standing in front of 10, 20,000 people, the same thing can happen. So, you know, you, you would be, you would prefer to be the one who walks away intact if you understand what I mean. Yep. Oh, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Well, and
1: and when I'm shooting and when I'm photographing a lot of these bands, it it's even comes down to where I can almost see it in a, in, in a close and personal sort of way standing down in the pit. There are some that it's like they see you and they just know, okay, I'm going to pay attention and I'm going to let the photographers get some good photos because they know that I'm the press and I'm helping push this thing sure. forward. Absolutely. And there's some... Yeah, and there's some performers that literally ignore you, like they don't even know you're there, and it, it, they're stumbling, and you can just see that they're drowning, and there's nothing you can do to help them. And I just well, feel you know,
2: like, and a, a seasoned performer will be able to cater to you without looking at you. Yep. You know, you're very aware that those guys are in the pit, so you come out and you are performing not just for the audience, but you're performing for them as well. Because, right. like you said, you are their lifeline to the public. You know, I've, I've watched this new Elvis movie four or five times already.
1: Phenomenal. Yeah. And
2: yeah. this kid, Austin Butler, I mean, if you don't win the Oscar, that's going to be one of the crimes of the century. Yep. But to watch what he does, you know, especially as the Elvis character gets older in his career, where he's more confident in who he is, the look that's in that kid's eye, When he comes out to do what he's doing, which is that look Elvis had in his eye, that means, hey, you know, I didn't get the name the king for no reason. You know, and that's not an arrogance. It's like what I was talking about with Paul earlier. It's a self-confidence of knowing that you belong there. And it takes a while to develop that.
1: Well, and you have to have it to be able to stand up in front of all those people and play.
2: And, you know, the funny part about it is that most of us that do this are introverted
1: which is bizarre to me. Yeah,
2: I know. And I can't, don't ask me. I mean, you'd need to talk to a therapist to explain that.
0: Yeah. You know, when, when you were sharing your story at, at the Ringling museum and you're like, well, you know, I don't normally raise my hand and do that. I'm like, yeah, you're the guy that's on stage drinking blood out of a skull and throwing yeah. meat into the audience. Yeah, you're, you're shocked.
2: <laughs> if I could answer it, I, I'd write a book <laughs> and make a lot of money. <laughs>
0: uh, <laughs> Blackie, this was uh, this was an honor. Thank you so much yeah, for giving us you. some of your time today to talk about all of this. Um, well, thanks, everybody. Looking, I, looking, I
2: appreciate you all taking the time. Looking, you
0: know, the, the biggest thing, the biggest takeaway from that was... There was no Mark to go fanboy. I got to ask questions. It was fantastic. We got to talk instead (laughs) of sitting back, going, "Oh my God, I'm embarrassed by what Mark just asked." Like, do you, Mm -hmm. Blackie? Do you do you remember me? I was at this show, and 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 you threw meat at me. I was going to say, wasn't
3: that his meat show? Didn't he get meat thrown at him? Yeah, that's
0: always Ozzy. But I'm sure Mark has got a wasp story.
1: It's Um, you know we should get him on a plane more often at this time.
0: Exactly. I got to schedule these incredible guests when <laughs> Mark is leaving.
1: Yes. Just because you know, it's going to bug him. But I'll tell you what, I thought it was absolutely, totally intriguing. I yeah, I, I was,
0: you know, this is one of those moments where, again, the it wouldn't be the, the 12, 15 year old me because Wasp wasn't around when I was 12 or 15. But listen, I, you know, like you, Tommy, I was at the kiss show at the st paul civic center when when wasp opened and and i had conversations with blackie where i was like you know i was actually more excited because wasp was on that bill not that i wasn't excited to see kiss but it was like crap wasp is opening for kiss this it doesn't get any better than that that now I'm made really the show. excited
1: to go see them in Atlanta. They're playing here on November 25th. I am really excited. I've never seen them play live.
0: You know, and 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 I haven't seen them live since then. I've gotten a lot of their albums, and even the the, the last album is, you know, hand hand to God. You know, <laughs> that his the last Wasp album. Phenomenal. Well, phenomenal. and I think also everybody's got to go check it
1: out. And I knew that they played over in Europe and stuff, but I didn't know how active he actually was because it's been so long. Because I can name all these bands that are on this circuit it's, that I see on it's a regular been, basis. It's been
0: 10 years since Wasp has done a full US tour of the US. Yeah. They've done, yeah. I think in 2017, I think they might've played the M3 festival or something like that, but they okay. haven't done a full US tour, which you know so for those of you who are interested go check out waspnation.com you'll find all of the tour dates not just the u.s which starts the end of october and runs through december um and by the way armored saint is the opening act on the entire u.s tour who is also celebrating their 40th anniversary so talk about and you know and let's let's not forget that one of the biggest tours 40 years ago was wasp armored saint and metallica
3: Mm.
0: metallica was would open some of the shows for Wasp, right so um but all of the dates for the european leg which starts spring of next year um are up there as well i mean we're not talking a tour that is a week long or two weeks this is this is a legit tour uh, yeah i think the you know again it's it's end of october all of november into december for here in the u.s
1: and i think it'll be fun to see what he comes up with because i totally knew what he was talking about with the electric circus and i guess this is going to go back to same thing with kiss either you support him and you go out and you see wasp or you don't but you don't bitch about it because certain members aren't there
0: there there there's a lot of fans who are just like I'm going wasp is my one of my bucket list bands that i've never gotten the chance yeah. to see or i didn't the last time i saw them was back in the mid 80s so um yeah this is this is pretty freaking exciting and again for for me as that kid who was watching wasp open for kiss at saint paul civic center this is this is that was a pretty cool conversation with Blackie.
1: well and he's a client now which makes it even more well, awesome
0: that that that's always the the icing on the cake but yeah. you know to sit here and talk to blackie lawless about being a friend of ace fraley and you know just those those stories he was sharing with us it's like because i think if you're a diehard kiss fan you have probably picked up over the years That, yeah, Blackie, Ace, they were friends, but we never really heard much about it. Right. you know, and I remember when I first started working with Blackie and he shared that story about working at Boutwell. And I was just like, that's freaking, that's crazy when you think about it. He comes out to LA, he's friends with Ace, and he ends up working at Boutwell. Yeah. Where they print these posters and he's shipping out posters for Kiss. Yeah, that's crazy.
1: You, know what, I, you know what else I forgot to ask him about
3: was the Crimson Idol and playing with Bob. Uh,
0: there's so many. Here's the no, thing. Wait, write your questions. We'll, write them down. I know. We'll, we'll, I was, get them, we'll get them back.
2: I was back. so fascinated I mean, and listening.
0: The thing, the thing about Blackie and Wasp is very much like it is with Gene, Paul, and Kiss. There's so much you want to ask, and you need... A six hour conversation yeah. to get all these questions in because um, I felt like we just hit them and ran. We hit a quick question, got an answer and ran to the next one because, you know, we could have, you know, in a typical three side show, we could have spent two hours just talking about the formation of Wasp and his his early friendship with Ace Fraley as Kiss was exploding. I mean, that could have been an entire two hour conversation.
1: Right. Right. Oh, yeah. We'll have to have him back on as his time allows.
0: Yep. So um, that was that, that rate that rates up there with one, you know, the Rob Halford, the Dennis DeYoung, the Ted Nugent. Um, that was very freaking cool. But this had a lot more kiss connection than those other three did. Right. Um, so homework. Have you seen, did you see Wasp open for KISS? What was your, what'd you think? Have you seen Wasp at any point since then over the last decades? Um, Are you going to go see Wasp on their upcoming tour, whether in the U.S. or Europe? And, uh, you know, set list isn't set in stone, but what do you want to hear them play? It's going to be tough for Blackie to come up with that set list to cover 40 years so you know you know what there's your homework go leave your answers um i want to do a quick one quick reminder three sides of the coin radio as we're recording this uh we just updated our our playlist charlie benante from anthrax has taken over three sides of the coin radio now and it's all charlie's songs that you get to listen to and I would add, if you are one of these people who loves old school, original kiss, you're going to, you're going to love Charlie's playlist, man.
2: But he's also mixed
0: yeah. in some, he's got some Judas Priest in there. He's got some cheap trick in there. Um, there's some anthrax, some of the anthrax kiss covers are in there. Um, so check out three sides of the coin, or uh, just say Alexa launch three sides of the coin radio and you can listen to all of charlie's favorite kiss songs and we got some great playlists coming up in the future too uh i know we've got uh dale torborg's got his list in um bill starkey's got his list in uh wayne from lillian axe has got his list in ron keel gave me his list sure. um so this is this is some fun stuff to kind of see what other people pick as their favorite Kiss tracks. Um, that's it. I don't think there's anything else we need to plug or remind people.
1: So, no, other than there's a couple of Kiss shows coming up here in September. One at West Palm Beach in Florida. Some
0: makeup shows.
1: Yep. And then uh, the Louder Than Life, which is uh, in Looking Louisville, North Kentucky. Sets.
0: There's a, They got a show up in Sacramento as well.
1: Yeah, Aftershock, I believe, is what yep. that's called. Yep. Yeah. So yep. couple um, of th- And all then we'll right. be back out on the road too, I guess, this fall. When is Tom so, Beach show? Do you remember offhand? The twenty first of September. Thank you. Thank you, Tom. So
0: check out Wasp on the Road, and that's it. Three sides of the coin. We'll see everybody next
2: week. Do you have something to say? Leave a voicemail or send us a text message. Call three two oh. 515-4771
3: Friday, September 16th, the Token Lounge. Detroit's original rock and roll dogs, Left for Dead, return to the stage for the first time in over 2 years. Rock and roll dog, roll dog. With TNT, America's number 1 Ted Nugent tribute band, recreating the classic 70s sound of the Motor City Madman. Also appearing, The Nightmare, Detroit's only Alice Cooper tribute band, and Sybil and the Beast. Left for Dead and TNT friday september 16th at the token lounge it's gonna be a motor city madhouse For three sides of the coin, provided by LarryDavisVoice.com and by JessicaMarsVoice.com. That's Mars with a Z.